Section 5 of Mark the Matchboy, or Richard Hunter's Ward, by Horatio Algers, Jr. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tori Felder. Chapter 9. A Pleasant Discovery. The night wore away, and still Mark the Matchboy continued to sleep soundly in the corner of the cabin where he had established himself. One of the boat hands passing through noticed him, and was on the point of waking him, but, observing his weary look and thin attire, refrained from an impulse of compassion. He had a boy of about the same age, and the thought came to him that some time his boy might be placed in the same situation, and this warmed his heart towards the little vagrant. I suppose I ought to wake him up, he reflected, but he isn't doing any harm there, and he may as well have his sleep out. So Mark slept on, a merciful sleep, in which he forgot his poverty and friendless condition, a sleep which brought new strength and refreshment to his limbs. When he woke up, it was six o'clock in the morning, but it was quite dark still, for it was in December, and, so far as appearances went, it might have been midnight. But already sleepy men and boys were on their way to the great city to their daily work. Some were employed a considerable distance uptown, and must be at their posts at seven. Others were employed in the markets and must be stirring at an early hour. There were keepers of street stands who liked to be ready for the first wave in the tide of daily travel that was to sweep without interruption through the city streets until late at night. So, altogether, even at this early hour, there was quite a number of passengers. Mark rubbed his eyes, not quite sure where he was or how he got there. He half expected to hear the harsh voice of Mother Watson, which usually aroused him to his daily toil. But there was no Mother Watson to be seen, only sleepy, gaping men and boys clad in working dresses. Mark sat up and looked around him. "'Well, young chap, you've had a nap, haven't you?' said a man at his side, who appeared from a strong smell of paint about his clothes to be a journeyman painter. "'Yes,' said Mark. "'Is it morning?' "'To be sure it is. What did you expect it was?' "'Then I've been sleeping all night,' said the match-boy, in surprise. "'Where?' "'Here.' "'In that corner?' asked the painter. "'Yes,' said Mark. "'I came aboard last night and fell asleep, and that's the last I remember.' "'It must be rather hard to the bones,' said the painter. "'I think that I should prefer a regular bed.' "'I do feel rather sore,' said the match-boy, "'but I slept bully. "'A little chap like you can curl up anywhere. "'I don't think I could sleep very well on these seats. "'Haven't you got any home?' "'Yes,' said Mark. "'A sort of home.' "'Then why didn't you sleep at home?' "'I knew I should get a beating if I went home without twenty-five cents.' "'Well, that's hard luck. I wonder how I should feel,' he continued laughing, "'if my wife gave me a beating when I came home short of funds.' But here the usual bump indicated the arrival of the boat at the slip, and all the passengers, the painter included, rose and hurried to the edge of the boat. With the rest went Mark. He had no particular object in going thus early, but his sleep was over, and there was no inducement to remain longer in the boat. The rain was over also, the streets were still wet from the effects of the quantity that had fallen, but there was no prospect of any more. Mark's wet clothes had dried in the warm, dry atmosphere of the cabin, and he felt considerably better than on the evening previous. Now, however, he could not help wondering what Mother Watson had thought of his absence. She'll be mad, I know, he thought. I suppose she'll whip me when I get back. This certainly was not a pleasant thought. The leather strap was an old enemy of his, which he dreaded, and with good reason. He was afraid that he would get a more severe beating for not having returned the night before at the hands of the angry old woman. I wish I didn't live with Mother Watson, he thought. Straight upon his thought came another. Why should he? Mother Watson had no claim upon him. 
Upon his mother's death she had assumed the charge of him, but, as it turned out, rather for her own advantage than his. She had taken all his earnings, and given him in return a share of her miserable apartment, a crust of bread or two, daily seasoned with occasional assaults with the leather strap. It had never occurred to Mark before, but now, for the first time, it dawned upon him that he had the worst of the bargain. He could live more comfortably by retaining his earnings and spending them upon himself. Mark was rather a timid and mild-mannered boy, or he would sooner have rebelled against the tyranny and abuse of Mother Watson. But he had had little confidence in himself and wanted somebody to lean on. In selecting the old woman who had acted thus far as his guardian, he had leaned upon a broken reed. The last night's experience gave him a little courage. He reflected that he could sleep in the newsboy's lodging house for five cents, or on the ferry boat again for two, while the fare at his old home was hardly so sumptuous, but that he could obtain the same without very large expense. So Mark thought seriously of breaking his yoke and declaring himself free and independent. A discovery which he made confirmed him in his half-formed resolution. He remembered that after paying his toll he had eight cents left, which he had placed in his vest pocket. He thought that these would enable him to get some breakfast, and drew them out. To his astonishment, there were two silver half-dollars mingled with the coppers. Mark opened his eyes wide in astonishment. Where could they have come from? Was it possible that the tollman had given him them by mistake for pennies? That could not be, for two reasons. First, he remembered looking at the change as it was handed him, and he knew there were no half-dollars among them. Again, the eight pennies were all there, the silver coins making the number ten. It was certainly very strange and surprising, and puzzled Mark not a little. We, who know all about it, find the explanation very easy, but to the little match-boy it was an unfathomable mystery. The surprise, however, was of an agreeable character. With so much money in his possession, Mark felt like a man with a handsome balance at his banker's, and with the usual elasticity of youth he did not look forward to the time when this supply would be exhausted. I won't go back to Mother Watson, he determined. She's beaten me times enough. I'll take care of myself. While these thoughts were passing through his mind, he had walked up Fulton Street and reached the corner of Nassau. Here he met his friend of the night before, Ben Gibson. Ben looked rather sleepy. He had been at the old Bowery Theatre the night before until twelve o'clock, and, having no money left to invest in a night's lodging, he had crept into a corner of the Times printing office and slept, but had not quite slept off his fatigue. Hello, young'un, he said. Where'd you come from? The Fulton Ferry, said Mark. I slept on the boat. Did you? How'd you like it? Pretty good, said Mark. It was rather hard. How'd you make out begging? Not very well. I got ten cents. So you didn't dare go home to the old woman? I shan't go home there any more, said the match boy. Do you mean it? Yes, I do. Bully for you. I like your pluck. I wouldn't go back and get a licking if I were you. What'll Mother Watson say? She'll be mad, I expect, said Mark. Keep a sharp lookout for her. I'll tell you what you can do. Stay near me, and if she comes prowling round, I'll manage her. Could you, said Mark quickly, who, from certain recollections, had considerable fear of his stout tyrant. You may just bet on that. What's you going to do? I think I shall go and get some breakfast, said Mark. So would I, if I had any tin, but I'm dead broke. Spent my last cent going to the old Bowery. I'll have to wait till I've had one or two shines before I can eat breakfast. Are you hungry? I'll bet I am. Because, said Mark, hesitating, I'll lend you money enough for breakfast, and you can pay me when you earn it. You lend me money, exclaimed Ben in astonishment. Why, you haven't got but eight cents. Yes, I have, said Mark, producing the two half dollars. 
"'Where'd you get them?' asked the boot black in unfeigned surprise, looking at Mark as if he had all at once developed into an aster or a steward. "'You haven't been begging this morning, have you?' "'No,' said the match boy, "'and I don't mean to beg again if I can help it. "'Then where'd you get the money?' "'I don't know.' "'Don't know? You haven't been stealing, have you?' Mark disclaimed the imputation indignantly. "'Then you found a pocketbook?' "'No, I didn't.' "'Then where did you get the money?' I don't know any more than you do. When I went to sleep on the boat, I didn't have it, but this morning when I felt in my pocket, it was there. That's mighty queer, said Ben, whistling. So I think. It's good money, ain't it? Try it and see. Ben tossed up one of the coins. It fell with a clear ringing sound on the sidewalk. Yes, that's good, he said. I just wish somebody'd treat me that way. Maybe it's the vest. If tis, I'd like to buy it. I don't think it's that, said Mark, laughing. Anyway, you've got the money. I'll borrow 20 cents of you, and we'll go and get some breakfast. Chapter 10. On the Warpath. Ben led the way to a cheap restaurant, where for 18 cents each of the boys got a breakfast, which to their not very fastidious taste proved very satisfactory. There, said Ben with a sigh of satisfaction as they rose from the table. Now I feel like work. I'll pay up that money afore night. All right, said Mark. What are you going to do? I don't know, said Mark irresolutely. You're a match boy, ain't you? Yes. Where's your matches? In Mother Watson's room. You might go and get them when she's out. No, said Mark, shaking his head. I won't do that. Why not? You ain't afraid to go around there, be you? It isn't that, but the matches are hers, not mine. What's the odds? I won't take anything of hers. Well, you can buy some of your own then. You've got money enough. So I will, said Mark. It's lucky that money came to me in my sleep. That's a lucky boat. I guess I'll go there and sleep tonight. Mark did as he proposed. With the money he had, he was able to purchase a good supply of matches, and when it became light enough, he began to vend them. Hitherto, he had not been very fortunate in the disposal of his wares, being timid and bashful, but then he was working for Mother Watson, and expected to derive very little advantage for himself from his labors. Now he was working for himself, and this seemed to put new spirit and courage into him. Then again he felt that he had shaken off the hateful thraldrum in which Mother Watson had held him, and this gave him a hopefulness which he had not before possessed. The consequence was that at noon he found that he had earned forty cents in addition to his investment. At that time, too, Ben was ready to pay him his loan, so that Mark found himself twenty-two cents better off than he had been in the morning, having a capital of a dollar and thirty cents, out of which, however, he must purchase his dinner. While he is getting on in such an encouraging manner, we must go back to Mother Watson. When Mark did not return the night before, she grumbled considerably, but no thought of his intentional desertion dawned upon her. Indeed, she counted upon his timidity and lack of courage, knowing well that a more spirited boy would have broken her chain long before. She only thought, therefore, that he had not got the twenty-five cents and did not dare come back, especially as she had forbidden him to do so. So, determining to give him a taste of the leather strap in the morning, she went to bed, first taking a fresh potation from the whiskey bottle, which was her constant companion. Late in the morning, Mother Watson woke, feeling as usual at that hour of the day, cross and uncomfortable, and with a strong desire to make someone else uncomfortable too. But Mark, whom she usually made to bear the burden of her temper, was still away. For the first time, the old woman began to feel a little apprehensive that he had deserted her. This was far from suiting her, as she found his earnings very convenient, and found it besides pleasant to have somebody to scold. 
She hastily dressed without paying much attention to her toilet. Indeed, to do Mother Watson justice, her mind was far from being filled with the vanity of dress, and if she erred on that subject, it was in the opposite extreme. When her simple toilet was accomplished, she went downstairs and knocked at Mrs. Flanagan's door. "'Come in,' said a hearty voice. Mrs. Flanagan was hard at work at her wash-tub, and had been for a good couple of hours. She raised her good-natured face as the old woman entered. "'The top of the morning to you, Mother Watson,' she said. "'I hope you're in fine health this morning, Mum." "'Then you'll be disappointed,' said Mrs. Watson. "'I've got a bad feeling in my stomach, and I have it most every morning.' "'It's the whiskey,' thought Mrs. Flanagan, but she thought it best not to intimate as much as it might lead to hostilities. "'Better take a cup of tea,' said she. "'I haven't got any,' said the old woman. "'I wouldn't mind a sup if you've got some handy.' "'Sit down, then,' said Mrs. Flanagan hospitably. "'I've got some left from breakfast, only it's cold, but if you'll wait a bit, I'll warm it over for you.' Nothing loath, Mother Watson sank into a chair and began to give a full account of her ailments to her neighbor, who tried hard to sympathize with her, though knowing the cause of the ailments she found this rather difficult. "'Have you seen anything of my boy this morning?' she asked after a while. "'What, Mark?' said Mrs. Flanagan. "'Didn't he come home last night?' "'No,' said the old woman, "'and he isn't home yet. When he does come, I'll give him a dose of the strap. He's a bad, lazy, shiftless boy and worries my life out.' "'You're hard on the poor boy, Mother Watson. "'You must remember he's but a wisp of a lad and hasn't much strength.' "'He's strong enough,' muttered Mother Watson. "'It's lazy he is. Just let him come home, that's all.' "'You told him not to come home unless he had twenty-five cents to bring with him.' "'So I did. And why didn't he do it?' "'He couldn't get the money, it's likely, and he's afraid of being bait.' "'Well, he will be bait then, Mrs. Flanagan. You may be sure of that, said the old woman, diving her hand into her pocket to see that the strap was safe. Then you're a bad, cruel woman to bait that poor motherless child, said Mrs. Flanagan with spirit. Say that again, Mrs. Flanagan, ejaculated Mother Watson irefully. My hearing isn't as good as it was, and maybe I didn't hear you right. No wonder your hearing isn't good, said Mrs. Flanagan, who now broke bounds completely. I shouldn't think you'd have any sense left with the whiskey you drink. "'Perhaps you mean to insult me,' said the old woman, glaring at her hostess with one of the frowns which used to send terror to the heart of poor Mark. "'Take it as you please, Mum,' said Mrs. Flanagan intrepidly. "'I'm entirely willing. I've been wanting to spake my mind a long while, and now I've spoke it.' Mother Watson clutched the end of the strap in her pocket, and eyed her hostess with a half-wish that it would do to treat her as she had treated Mark so often. But Mrs. Flanagan, with her strong arms and sturdy frame, looked like an antagonist not very easily overcome, and Mrs. Watson forbore, though unwillingly. Meanwhile, the tea was beginning to emit quite a savory odor, and the wily old woman thought it best to change her tactics. Accordingly, she burst into tears, and rocking backward and forward, declared that she was a miserable old woman, and hadn't a friend in the world, and succeeded in getting up such a display of misery that the soft heart of Mrs. Flanagan was touched, and she apologized for the unpleasant personal observations she had made, and hoped Mother Watson would take the tea. To this, Mother Watson finally agreed, and intimating that she was faint, Mrs. Flanagan made some toast for her, of which the cunning old woman partook with exceeding relish, notwithstanding her state of unhappiness. "'Come in any time, Mother Watson,' said Mrs. Flanagan, "'when you want a sip of tea, and I'll be glad to have you take some with me.' "'Thank you, Mrs. Flanagan. Maybe I'll look in once in a while. A sip of tea goes to the right spot when I feel bad at my stomach.' "'Must you be going, Mother Watson?' 
Yes, said the old woman. I'm going out on a little walk to see my sister that keeps a candy stand by the park railings. If Mark comes in, will you tell him he find the matches upstairs? This Mrs. Flanagan promised to do, and the old woman went downstairs and into the street. But she had not stated her object quite correctly. It was true that she had a sister, who was in the confectionery and apple line, presiding over one of the stalls beside the park railings. But the two sisters were not on very good terms, chiefly because the candy merchant, who was more industrious and correct in her habits than her sister, declined to lend money to Mother Watson, a refusal which led to a perfect coolness between them. It was not, therefore, to see her that the old woman went out. She wanted to find Mark. She did not mean to lose her hold upon him, if there was any chance of retaining it, and she therefore made up her mind to visit the places where he was commonly to be found, and when found, to bring him home, by violence, if necessary. So, with an old plaid cloak depending from her broad shoulders, and her hand grasping the strap in her pocket, she made her way to the square, peering about on all sides with her ferret-like eyes, in the hope of discovering the missing boy. End of section 5 of Mark the Match Boy, or Richard Hunter's Ward, by Horatio Alger, Jr., recording by Tory Falder.